Well, good morning, downtown. How are you guys doing today? Good. Are you guys ready? Excited for what we've got planned here? My name is Jeff. Um, I don't ever get to be in downtown. I'm actually part of our West Sac campus. Can we give it up for West Sac? I oversee uh, the committee groups at uh, West Sac, so it's great to be with you guys. I see some old friends, so I love being here in downtown. So we're going to get started. We've got a panel of guests here. Not guests. Some of them are guests, but... Uh, we're ready to get this uh, kick-started here. So I'm going to introduce our panel. Um, and don't forget, we've got a number here where you guys can actually text in some questions. So you can text those questions in during the service, and we'll, we'll ask some of our uh, panel here about these questions here. So uh, let's get started. So our first guest, or not guest, is our lead pastors, uh, Caleb and Chrissy, married for almost 10 years. Give it up. They've got three kids. No grandchildren yet, <laughs> um, and are both ordained ministers of the Assemblies of God. And then we've got Jason and Danielle. They've been married for 10 months, two kids. <laughs> Give it up. Jason here, he's a project manager for Decor Builders. And then we've got Danielle, who's a hairdresser at True Image. So if you need your hair did, come on, Danielle's a person this is to my see. my second plug. I appreciate that. Yes, I got you. And then we've got... Randy and Joanne Cole, yeah, been married for almost 38 years, four kids, four grandkids, and in pastoral ministry for almost 40 years. Give it up for them, guys. And last but not least, our epic Monica. Come on. Single for 30-ish years. We'll have her number on the, on the That's screen That's a here. lie. <laughs> but I am seventh willing hard here, but I would never do it with any other group of people. <laughs> uh, went to Hillsong College in Australia and works for WebConnect's tech company. Give it up for our panel, guys. So we've got assigned questions that we're going to ask each uh, couple and individual. Uh, we'll give them about two minutes or however long it'll take, and then we'll field some of the questions that do come in. We ready? Yeah, all right. So here we go. First question. This one's for Jason and Danielle. What do you do when God speaks to you and confirms it over and over through his word, random people praying over you, or conversations showing clear signs of what he spoke to you that a certain female is meant to be your wife? How do you approach it and go about it without having the pressure of your wife, but rather enjoying the process of dating? Could you repeat that? No. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for, uh, you know, Danielle and I are honored to be up here. We've been married uh, it's almost 11 months now. It's Ooh. not long. I don't know if we have anything to add of value. Um, but I can say this. We can tell you what not to do, uh, especially before you get married leading up to that. And so I know that um, God's going to be able to speak through that. But in regards to that question, with Danielle and I, that's very much actually how it happened um, with us. We did have a lot of confirmation, a lot of people praying over us. Um, we both felt like that we heard from the Lord, uh, not only personally, but through other people uh, regarding us and our potential. And, um, you know, for me personally, I had, I don't know if you're out there and you've got like this expectation list of who you think you're going to marry. Um, in your mind, you've already got it figured out, what they look like, what they do, what they do in ministry, how they serve the Lord, all of these things. And that was definitely me. And so 
I told myself or I had this expectation that it was going to be someone that did not have children. That, and, and Danielle has brought two amazing girls into our marriage. But what God was doing through that whole time was he was working on something inside of me. There was something that needed to be done because for me to put that expectation uh, really puts God in a box and doesn't allow God to do what only he can do and to bring you what he knows that you need, not what you think you want. And so for me, I had to put that aside and allow God to work on my heart. And that's when he showed me that she's bringing two blessings into this marriage, not bringing a burden, not bringing something, probably was my own really insecurities of having to be a father right out of the gate, having to be a husband right out of the gate. And all of those insecurities were keeping me from seeing what God had right in front of me. And so when I allowed God to work on my heart, it started to change. And then I started to see something very beautiful in Danielle, something very beautiful in her two girls. And that's when I could see, wow, God, you're doing something far greater than my expectation list. It's good. Far greater than I can see or imagine. Far greater than now, especially on the other side of marriage, knowing that the, her, her two girls, our two girls, they're making me better. He's so nice. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take over. Make no. me a better man, better husband. Aww. And so, hindsight looking back, the end of the question said, Should would there be pressure? If God's speaking to you, there's no pressure. Yeah. There's peace. And there was a peace that came on me and on her, and it was just a security and a knowing unlike anything I've ever felt before. And so there is no pressure. When God tells you that she's your wife, pressure's gone. Because if God's in it, nothing's going to take that from you. Yeah. If God's in it, then it's going to happen. He's going to fulfill his promise to you. And so I would just say, man, be a friend to that person. Really focus on our friendship. We've had a friendship for since I was 12 years old. And I can tell you that that's made our, difference, our marriage much different. And I think much healthier because we know the good, bad, and the ugly in every detail. And it's made our love for each other so much sweeter and so much greater. And so I would just tell you, man, if people are speaking over to you, over you about someone, and through prayer and through maybe a prophetic word, go back in prayer on that and really ask God to work on your heart. If you're not seeing it, ask God to really work on your heart and, and see what he can do because he can do some amazing, amazing things. Yeah. Good, good. I'll just add a little bit to that. Um, so one thing that you said for service that I really loved is the pressure was gone when you're in God's spirit. So if you feel that God has said something to you and given you a word, if you're in God's spirit, you will feel a peace if he's speaking to you. But for me personally, when God had spoken to me and said, hey, Jason's your husband, um, I, I, it was like a thought in and then like a thought out and it was like, okay, on with my life. Well, it kept getting, it kept being brought to my attention. It kept coming back to my mind. So I really had to posture myself. And so if you are in this position and everybody's situation looks different, but if you are in this position, I would say the best thing that you can do is posture your heart. God judges our hearts. So whether you believe that you're hearing correctly or not, but you feel that you have heard from God, posture your heart. And what I mean by that is I got to a point after it coming to me so many times that I had to walk around 
like a crazy lady and say, okay, I guess I have a husband. Sorry, I can't date you and I can't talk to you. And, you know, you start carrying yourself completely different because God is judging that. So he's going to honor that. So I would say posture your heart and just stay in his spirit and there will be no pressure. Okay, good stuff. Someone actually texted in while Jason was talking and stated, now kiss. Oh. <laughs> now kiss. There you go. Okay, so this next question, this one's for Caleb and Chrissy. What is up with Corinthians 11, 2 through 16? I don't get it. So this is a passage that I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but in the passage it talks about um, why or women having their heads covered and also men not shaving their heads. And so it talks about all these cultural things that were from this day. So this is a church in a city called Corinth. And in this day, prostitutes would not cover their heads and would have their hair down. It said women's hair has to be up. And so we have to read this and understand the cultural context of it and go, okay, in that day, if they had their hair down, if they weren't covering their head, then they were perceived as a prostitute. And what was happening is what was in the church, some of these women were going, oh, well, we're not under law anymore. There's more freedom. And they were actually doing some of this. And they were saying, we're free, so we can just do whatever we want. But then the world was perceiving them as something else. And so they were actually, the world was starting to say, the church, man, they're crazy promiscuous. And they're crazy sexually. And so Paul's writing them saying, look, you got to, you know, pull it back and uh, cover your heads, uh, put your hair up. Because you're being perceived as something that you shouldn't be perceived as. Obviously, we don't fall into this because I'm looking around and most ladies, your hair isn't covered and your hair is down. But nobody's looking at you going, oh, she's a lady of the night. You know, like, <laughs> that's not happening. Because culturally, that's normal. But we have to understand that was this culture. And then also in this passage, uh, it talks about men's and, and women's role in, in marriage. And it, it addresses it kind of quickly uh, but one thing that it's talking about is like, okay, the man as the head and the woman as being the helper. But I came across the message version of this, and I really liked it because I think that sometimes we, we read it. And the last verse of this little section is a little, like, confusing, I guess I would say. It's, it's a little cloak and dagger. And uh, so I want to read it in the message because I think it puts it in a way that is more understandable for us. It says this in verse number... 12, it says, and since virtually everything comes from God anyways, let's quit going through these who's first routines. What he's saying is we're getting so caught up in like whose role is what and who's first and who, who, who takes the lead. And what, what Paul was saying is, look, we need to not get caught up in that. Like, yes, men have a role and you need to listen to our message from last week um, about men's and women's roles and mutual submission but at the end of the day, it's about us doing this together because we're called together as men and women to build the church, uh, to build the kingdom of God and all of that. But what Chrissy hit on last week, which is so true, is that, listen, whenever it talks about men as a head, that's in marriage. And so women, you are not subservient. You are not to submit to men. We're to submit to our husbands. And so what's happened in our culture, even in the church, is like men, we're like domineering over women. And that's not biblical at all. Um, it is meant to be in marriage. And even in that, the husband's role is sacrifice and leading the way Christ led, which is he gave his life for his bride, the, his bride, the church, just as we're to give our lives for our wives. And so we lead out of a place of self-sacrifice, not, not out of a place of domination or domineering. So um, real quick, go ahead. 
Yeah, and so I just really think that this scripture has tripped a lot of people up because it's so focused on should we wear stuff on our head or not? Are we going to be perceived this way or not? And it just trips people up. And from this scripture, um, there are a lot of contentious conversations surrounding um, the roles of men and women. It's like, are you egalitarian or are you complementarian? And all these words that we've made up as we've studied the Bible. And then we try to figure out what do I subscribe to? And we get, need to get to the point where we're not so tripped up by the legalistic stuff and what the specifics are of who comes first. You know, Adam was created first, so all women should come after him. You know, like Eve came after, so they must be less than. You know, all these conversations, all these contentious you know, debates, but we need to get to the point, place where we're focused on being more like Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about. Let's get back to being more like Jesus. Husbands, um, sacrifice for your wives the way Jesus did. And then wives, submit to your husbands the way that Jesus submits to God. We just need to get back to the place where we're focused on being more like Jesus, and that'll free us all up. That's true freedom when we act like Jesus. Good. That's good. Very good. Good stuff. Hey, you guys. Be open to take notes if you guys want to write this down because there's some good stuff up here. Okay, so the next question is for uh, Randy and Joanne. What is, uh, uh, here we go, what's the key or keys to long-lasting marriage? On Wednesday, we will celebrate 38 years. Come on. And they have been wonderful and they have also been hard. Marriage requires a lot of hard work, and when I think about keys, I can't help but think of mutual grace and understanding and honor and respect and honest communication, a fun friendship, establishing priorities as a family. But I think for me, the key and the reason that we sit here today as a couple is the covenant. Um, 38 years ago, we said, yes, I do. And we made a covenant that we would stay married. And the beautiful thing about a covenant, it's not like a contract that can be broken by a signer. A covenant is something that can only be broken by the covenator. And we determined that that would not be a covenant that we would ever break. And we made that covenant with God. There were three of us in that covenant. We know that he never breaks any covenant yeah. that he makes. Yeah. And we've been married 38 years, and we both changed a little bit in 38 years. Honey, you're, you're hotter than you ever were. Um, <laughs> but the covenant remains the same. In emotions over the last almost four decades have ebbed and flowed, but the covenant has remained the same. Good. And so. Mic drop. Um, accept the notion that there will be storms and droughts. Weather the storms and endure the droughts. We've had to do that here in Northern California. We get that, you know, that analogy. Um, but a lot of times, I went, I went into our relationship, I, I grew up in a home where there was, I was a PK, preacher's kid, if you know what that is, but it was just my brother and I, it was, it was uh, uh, an environment that was very peaceful, very calm. I never saw my, my parents fight, hardly ever heard an argument, and 
And shortly into our marriage, it was on. <laughs> and I'm like, it freaked me out. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't supposed to happen, is it? Like, it, I had never, you know, personally observed this. Her, her home was different. Uh, her home was cray-cray. <laughs> it's called honest and open communication. Yeah. That's probably the... We were, we were dysfunctional, I think. We both were, our homes. But, but we, were, we were two extremes. There's some balance in there somewhere. Um, but, hey, you know, we, we had a, a very short courtship. We didn't really know each other that well. Um, and then... Knucklehead over there came along very soon into our marriage, like a year and a half. Uh, and so we went from, I went from being single and carefree to being a husband and being a father and going from being able to be really spontaneous and, you know, do things for the moment to, it all changes when you have kids. And uh, now we're empty nesters and we can be spontaneous again. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's come full circle, baby. So hang in there. It's worth it. Hang in there. Amen, amen. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, so the next question is for Monica. What is the woman's role in the, in the pursuit of dating? And okay. what does that look like? Okay, let's buckle in, ladies. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, guys. Come on. So the answer to this, and I just prayed about it because I actually didn't know, is living an honorable life. And so what that looks like is honoring God first, honoring yourself, and then honoring the man who is pursuing you. And what that looks like practically, though, is we always want to put God first in everything. Proverbs 3, 6 says, acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he will make straight our paths. So we need to invite God into this conversation. And it doesn't have to be super holy, like, is he the one? But how about, hey, is this a season I should be dating? Guard my heart, God. Give me wisdom. Give me, uh, just put your, go before me, Lord God, and order my steps. So that's my first thing. You want to honor God. Secondly, you want to be honor yourself by being honest with yourself. Dating is so fun. I know I'm the single representative on this panel, but dating is fun. There's food. You're getting to know somebody. I'm like, hey, I'm all about that. I really am. And so because, like, I really enjoy it, like, it's really easy to get caught up in the relationship of things. And if red flags are popping up but you're not honoring it because it's just so good to eat the food, you really need <laughs> to be honest with yourself and just say and just be like, look, there, things are popping up. We need, I need to acknowledge them. And always speaking the truth in love. I'm a big fan of that. We don't want to be cutting with our words, but we want to speak the truth in love like the Bible says. And finally, ladies, and shout out Olga because we had this conversation last Last week, she's phenomenal, and this was this is wisdom her mother gave her, and it has just radically changed me. But when we, ladies, we need to honor men that if a man pursues us, and maybe we're not interested, we do not go around to all of our friends and we tell them that so and so asked us out, and we said no. It is between he and I, and no one else. Now there is a difference between asking advice because there is wisdom and counsel, but if he, if it's a no for you, it's just a no with you. Like just leave it like that. Do not go around. We need to honor. The 
the men of the house, ladies. We honor ourselves so much. Let me tell you about my sisterhood. I can leave a meeting and I feel like I walk on water and I'm encouraged and edified every single time. We need to extend that grace to the brothers in the house, to the men of God in our house, because this is how we are the example. How are we? We're ambassadors of Christ. And if we are divided, like the world can be divided, it's not going to be good for us, ladies. So this is how we can honor the pursuit is just honor God, honor yourself, and honor the men in the house of God. Fire. Fire. You can drop the mic now. Okay, so this next question, this one's going to be for Danielle and Jason. What does sexual immorality mean in the Bible, and what does that include? The Bible is pretty clear, right? (laughs) Yet we still question it, huh? Uh, Especially our culture. Um, that it's not relevant and all these excuses that we come up with to do what we want to do. Um, if God is the creator of sex, he's the only one that can put parameters on it and come up with what those parameters are. Good. So we should be looking for him to tell us mm-hmm. what our sexual relationship should look like. Mm-hmm. And it should always be in the confines and the safety net of marriage. I can tell you one thing, we haven't been married that long, but I can tell you from a perspective that's not like some of the other ones on this stage maybe, is that I did not wait for Danielle, and I made that choice, that decision, and there is a consequence for that. And now on the other side of marriage, having a relationship inside of marriage, sexual relationship, you can see how it's protected inside of a covenant, you can see that why God designed it that way. Mm-hmm. And so I would tell you this morning, and Danielle will take the second part of this and talking about God's grace and how he covers our mistakes. But if you're making that decision outside of marriage, I would just say stop right now. Mm-hmm. Don't allow all of that baggage mm-hmm. to come into a marriage because marriage doesn't change you mm-hmm. in that way. It's not like you just get married and all those things are out of your mind. It's not like all of those things never happened. And I feel like a lot of us, maybe in this culture, just, you know, no regrets, you know, hold nothing back, just have fun and all that. And like, I I had tons of regrets. And God is now using that. I can see that. But why, why put God in a position where he has to take your junk and now restore it. And you have to now walk through that process, which can be very painful inside of your marriage. Mm-hmm. So more than anything, I would just say, stay pure. God designed it for a reason to be done inside of marriage. Uh, God designed it to be inside of a covenant because it is a sin against your own body, the Bible says. It's not like other sins. It's actually a sin against your own body. Our body is a temple. And so luckily I have an amazing wife who knows all of that. But imagine the insecurities that Danielle probably struggles with, knowing all of that. Mm-hmm. And why bring that into your marriage with your wife? Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. So if I could go back, would do it differently. God has restored that. He's done amazing things. And he's using it. But at the same time, I would just say, stay pure. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking God, how far is too far, which is the wrong question. Ask God, God, how can I stay pure for you? 
And how, how can I continue to say no to more things in order to stay pure? That's good. So to add to that, um, I also, you know, didn't withstand from sexual relationships before marrying Jason. In my past, I had had experiences. And so we kind of, we kind of decided, well, we're not going to talk about the details. And it was actually like two weeks before we got married, I want to say, and we're driving in the car and I looked at him like, you got to tell me everything. And he's like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, I want to know. And he's like, no, that's not helpful. But I want to tell you, I, don't, I felt like God spoke to me, and this is what he said. He said, Danielle, I love you, and I know everything about you. Everything. God knows everything about each and every one of you. Even those things that you have hidden from everyone else, he loves you. He's looking down at you. He knows those things, and he still loves you. And I looked at Jason, and I told him, I don't need to know like ground zero. But what I do need to know is the details. And the reason why is because this is an opportunity for me to be led into your life in a way that God is already in your life so I can see your junk and I can love you through that. That is why I feel so loved by God because he sees my junk. So it has been, it's been a really interesting thing, this feeling of like a whole nother level of loving, this covenant of loving like Jesus, but then also having to deal with consequences that really aren't going to leave you. You know, there's, there are consequences in your marriage as well, but our God is wonderful and he is so, so good. So be encouraged as well. And real quick, one minute, just to touch on that, just to finish this question up. I saw the fruit of waiting with Danielle on our, our marriage night. I saw the, the sweetness of that. I saw how God redeemed all of those bad decisions that we made, God redeemed them and made that night very, very special. And I just want to say, don't allow your sexual sin or your past to keep you from accomplishing all that God has for you. The enemy would love for you to say, I am now not worthy to be a missionary. I am now not worthy to be a pastor. I am now not worthy to serve on this team. I am now not worthy to do all these things that God has called me to do. I'm now worthy to lead a women's ministry because look at my past. Look at what I've done. The enemy loves that. And God is saying to you, do not allow that to keep you from accomplishing all that God has for you. Because his death covered that. Wow, good stuff. So, so good. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. So this next question, this one's going to be for Caleb and Chrissy. Is divorce and remarriage a sin? So this is a great question. Um, actually, the, the Pharisees try to ask this question of Jesus. Or is, yeah. I don't know if there's some Pharisees in the audience today <laughs> that are trying to get us. But here's what it says. In Mark 10, it says, and the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become flesh. So no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined... Let no man separate. And then he goes on, and he actually says to them, he says, it is sin for divorce and remarriage. And so the Bible is really clear. I mean, Jesus himself answered this question. 
But here's what I, I like to say to people because we have um, a lot of people in this room who are divorced. We have people on this stage who have been divorced and remarried. And so what we believe, though, is that what God, what it says right here is that God allowed it. He told Moses, you can do it. Why did he allow that? Why? Because we're, we're broken. Like, we're messed up. We're sinful. And so is it sin? Yes, but God's grace covers our sin. And so I don't think anyone in this place should disqualify themselves because they're like, well, I've been divorced. Just like Jason just said, I can't do anything with my life. Or God can never use me. Or I should never get remarried. No. Like, God forgives your sin, and he has grace on you. And I believe some of you in this place, you're divorced, and you haven't been remarried, and God still has someone for you. And you got to do what Monica said about, about being single and, and living a life of honor towards yourself, towards God, and towards that other person. But I, I want us to, to be clear that the Bible tells us God hates divorce. Why? Because that was not what was meant, right? He wanted us to stay in covenant like my parents talked, my mom talked about with this idea of like commitment and covenant, staying in it, and yet we're not perfect. None of us are. And so those of you in this place that have been divorced, I just want you to know like God's freedom is still on you. His grace is still on you. He still has a future for you. And don't let your past dictate the future and the purpose that God has in store for your life. So do we make mistakes? Do we sin? Yes, but God's grace covers our <laughs> sin just as it covers every other sin. No sin is greater in God's eyes. And so this idea of divorce, sometimes we elevate it. It's not greater in God's eyes than any other sin. Does he like it? No. In fact, he hates it. But he, has, he still has something for you and for your future. And there's testimony and testament to that sitting on this stage in front of you right now. Yeah. I just want to piggyback that because we had a similar question to the question that you gave them earlier. And I think it can kind of go hand in hand. Like if you we're not pure before marriage, which when we answered the question, I was not and was thankful for a husband who received me, even though that was the case for me. And then same with you guys. Um, and then the same thing with divorce. These sins that we tend to just put exclamation marks on and disqualify ourselves from a future that God has for us. I just think that we need to remember that God makes all things new. Like, that's, that's the key. God makes all things new. When I entered marriage relationship with him and we had sex for the first time, I felt like because I pursued purity, because I pursued healing, and be, because God restored and helped me through some really shameful moments in my life because of my past, I believe that my virginity was restored to me when I, when I was in relationship with him. I believe that's the same case for people who have been divorced. God can restore your purity so that you can enjoy the purity of marriage um, after your previous divorce. Does that make sense? So let's just, I say pursue healing at all costs. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. You're going to be vulnerable. It's going to hurt even more than the sin hurt you at times. Pursue healing. Get rid of that shame. And you, you can be made new because God's promise says, I make all things new. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. All right, guys. This is going to be our last question. And this one's going to be for Randy and Joanne. How do you keep the flame going after years of marriage? I feel like this is set up. Yo, yeah. <laughs> you want to answer this one? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, got quiet in here. I'm waiting to hear what I'm going to say too. I think uh, 
You've got to continue to have some spontaneity in your relationship, and um, you've got to continue to date, basically. You've got to continue to court. Um, and, of course, that changes. After 38 years, it just looks different. Um, going through kids and grandkids, um, there were times when that was very difficult because we had four at home. We had four kids that were six and under. Uh, so in order to have that spontaneity uh, and to continue to court, to continue to date and that sort of thing, you had to plan. It didn't just happen. Uh, you had to make arrangements, you know. You had to get babysitters. You had to ha have a, figure out a way to make it happen. And... Uh, so you've got to incorporate that into life, if you will. Another key, I think, would be to know your love languages. There's a book out, a lot of you have heard about it, The Five Love Languages. The, the author is Gary Chapman. If you haven't read that book, it'll help you in every relationship. It'll help you in relationship with parents, with your relationship with kids, with others. Um, if, if you understand your, your spouse's real felt need, now, interesting, in our relationship, we have the same, you might have more than one lang lang love language, but there's tests you can take to find out what they are, um, but you'll have one that's dominant. Ours is the same, which is kind of unique. It's, it really makes it easier um, because you want to do for them the things that you want them to do for you. But if your love language is different, you need to, you need to understand that. And uh, you need to do things that touch their felt need, not yours, okay? So I think the key, too, is intentionality, which Randy is alluding to, and he has always been really great about that. On Wednesday, we'll go away for a couple days when we celebrate our 38th anniversary. And let's be honest, after 38 years, when you check in a hotel, you know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I know <laughs> what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, and I'm excited. I can hear you. Um, so can I tell a really quick story? Yes. I'll go fast. Yeah, so you got it. Uh, Randy has always been great about keeping things intentional. And several years ago, we needed a little getaway. And we didn't have much time, so we came downtown, and we stayed in a hotel. And so we were on, I don't know, the 13th floor or something, and he was getting a little frisky, and he wanted to play a game. Sorry, Caleb. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Earmuffs, Caleb. Earmuffs. So he devised this game. He wanted to play strip poker, and he said, you know, if a car comes down J Street, okay, come on, guys. Um, <laughs> we're old, but we are not dead. So... Um, so the first car comes down J Street, makes a right. That means I have to remove a piece of clothing. Second car makes a right. Me again. Third car, fourth car, fifth car. So finally I realize I am sitting here naked. Every single car is turned right. Now, you know, there are a lot of one-way streets <laughs> in downtown Sacramento. So guys, be creative. Give it up for our Winning. panel, guys. Did you, add, did you want to add one more thing? Um, no, I just scored points on my man card, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, give it up for our panel, guys. That's it for today. Hope you guys had a good time.